your first eight guys maybe should be blue plate specials, but those back five guys, they should be more like tin hats, more guys that are grunt players, garbage players that dive for the ball. You are listening to the Scrambled Eggs Podcast on CrackedSidewalks.com. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Scrambled Eggs, your unofficial Marquette basketball podcast here on CrackSidewalks.com. Joe McCann and Phil Bush here with you. Uh, Phil, I think we're still in the happy range where we can still say Happy New Year. What was the date with Larry David said you got to stop? Like, I think he said like January 4th or 5th. <laughs> He's like, it's like after that enough with the Happy New Year's. But we're this will be going out on January 3rd, so I still think we're in the safe Happy New Year range. Yeah, I, I think we are. I think uh, we can wish everyone a Happy New Year and hope everyone had a safe and prosperous holiday. And hey, conference season is here and and now we're in the meat of it, right? We're, we're, we're centralized in the meat. We are deep into it. Really, we're about halfway through the regular season. Is is about where we are. We're almost halfway there. But um, but yeah. So we have been on a bit of a hiatus, which tends to happen around the holidays. Hope everybody had a merry Christmas and whatever holidays you've been celebrating. But uh, yeah, so we're gonna get you caught up. I mean, I'm sure you all know the results from the last couple weeks. But we're gonna talk about those games, the wins over Georgetown and Creighton. We're gonna talk about. If, uh, if the, any of the early results have shifted any narratives or thoughts on the Big East, it's still pretty early to, to uh, make any declarations, but we'll do our best anyway. And uh, we will look ahead to the one game Marquette has this week. Uh, Marquette is off in the middle of the week, and they have one game on Saturday uh, against uh, Seton Hall. That will be on the road. So, Phil, let's just start with, uh, I guess, the, the thing most recent in everybody's mind. That was the win over Creighton. Uh, great win over one of the team, really before the season, and really I think still now there are three teams people consider contenders for the Big East Championship, Creighton one of them. To get uh, your first win in that four-game series against those three teams, granted there are still teams that could hang around and surprise us, but uh, I think to get the first win against Creighton uh, certainly felt good for everyone, especially team, fans, and everything. But um, I, I think my first takeaway is if, if anyone was still questioning the value of Stevie Mitchell in the starting lineup, uh, I hope that has been put to rest because uh, no matter what the box score says, you felt his impact right away in that game. Yeah, absolutely. And and there was an emotional lift to having him back. I mean, the the crowd was, was uproarious about having Stevie back in the starting lineup when he got announced. So... Um, yeah, having him back, I, you know, again, it gave, I think it's not just what Stevie brings to the lineup, but I think it's also what, um, what roster or, or lineup flexibility he provides to Shaka, right? You know, you can play Stevie with some, all sorts of different combinations. You don't have to run chase extra minutes. You can shorten the bench a little bit if you need to. Um, so yeah, having him back was great. Um, and I also think, you know, I think there was a little bit of angst, like, hey, have we hit a skid? Are we on the downside? The the Georgetown blowout didn't necessarily put those flames out because, quite frankly, you should blow out this version of Georgetown. Um, I do think yes. it was I, I do think it was quite enjoyable that we got uh, uh, that that we got uh, Ed uh, to uh, to go full shot Holloway and and like call out his players in the post game press conference. That was pretty fun. Um, but, but having said that Georgetown victory was not like, you know, did not say the ship was right, you know, a little nervy the first few minutes of the, of the Creighton game is, is everyone was kind of feeling their way out, especially Stevie. Um, but boy, that second half and, and the Creighton game overall, it's got to make you feel a little bit better that maybe Marquette is, you know, is fine. Right. I don't know. Did, did you feel like Marquette was fine? Absolutely, and I want to get to that uh, in just a second. But first, I did want to touch on something you mentioned briefly real quick, the crowd. Uh, Not only a sellout, but a Fiserv record, 18,086 people. Yeah. Shout to the Marquette fans. I I know when the schedule came out, one thing we were maybe a a touch concerned about would be that first game against Creighton would be during the holiday break. Weren't sure what the crowd would be like on the the day before New Year's Eve. Uh, No students, but... uh, not a problem at all. So shouts to everybody who went to the Marquette game. You and uh, 18,085 of your closest friends, Phil. Yeah. Uh, great crowd, and shout out to everybody who showed up. Yeah, it was great. And uh, uh, Amelia, the daughter character, got a uh, 
got a got yet another appearance on the jumbotron so she was uh she well she's was, super cute the camera's gonna find her yeah uh, apparently uh, the the wookies the holding her is is not detracting enough so they they keep putting her on the jumbotron especially because she loves to dance to taylor swift we've got a we've got a real tay tay problem in my house right now um that's all right be that as it may crowd was super super great large into it and I would, you know, and and Shock even mentioned it a little bit in the uh, in the post game conf- uh, post game with uh, with Homer and and Tony. And I don't know, you know, how much of this is coach speak and how much of this is like, yeah, legitimate, you know. But he basically was saying, hey, the crowd really helped us through some some tough spots in that in that first half that helped them kind of overcome some of the the challenges they were seeing because, you know, I think to get into it, especially in the first half and throughout the game, the defense was great. The first half, yes. the offense was creaking. It was a little bit creaking. Yeah. A little shaky, a little shaky. But, uh, yeah, like getting back to your original question before I went off on that uh, sidebar Could on the Could you crowd, do a tangent um, to the tangent? Yeah, yeah. But now, well, I'm trying to get us back on track. So we took a little detour. We took the scenic <laughs> route. Now we're going to get right back on track to where we were having the previous discussion. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, like in the previous podcast, coming off the lofts of Providence, uh, I had concerns. I, 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 I dialed back maybe national championship speak just to talk, say, yeah, this is still a very good team, but I, I kind of want to see more before we were talking top of the top there. Um, and some of that anxiety, I think, uh, is worse among some other fans. But, you know, because I'm on Twitter just like everybody else is. <laughs> but... Um, I'd say that first half, yeah, the offense was a little slow, but I wanted to give it a full game before I made any um, wild declarations about where the offense was because, you know, last week both Paint Touches had an article and Alan Bukowski had uh, a tweet thread that basically said the same thing about Stevie Mitchell's absence and how, like, Stevie Mitchell being out of the starting lineup and Chase Ross going in is it where you get hurt the most because Chase is a, a worthy of a starting spot and he's good enough for starters minutes, but it's when that next tier, those freshmen have to play more minutes. Uh, as talented as they are and as promising as they are, there's just a drop-off when you're going up against Big East competition with those young guys. But with Stevie back in there, Chase goes back to the second line and he's that He's your sixth man essentially, and that just strengthens what you what you what you're bringing off the bench. And so when Tyler or Cam need a rest, uh, you're stronger on the bench. And so I wanted to give that a full game before I was really concerned about the offense. That's why, like, even despite the slow start, despite trailing at halftime, I was like, eh, I'm not that worried yet. So and as the game went along, it it kind of went the way I really hoped it would and thought it would is that Marquette would would claw out a close win. I did not expect it to be because you got 15 points from Sean Jones, mm-hmm. but um, y- you but they did fight back and get the win uh, and covered, I would add. So, um, I guess to answer your question, yeah, I, I don't know if it drastically changed what I thought about this team. I didn't think it was bad coming in, and I don't know if I'm ready to get back on national championship talk after one nice home victory either, but uh, it was a nice win. It's a hat tip to the guys, and you hope they keep it going. And the question I would throw back to you, Phil, is, um, you know, I think something we've talked about several times this season on the pod is, uh, oh, well, maybe especially just after the losses, is the concern with, like, shooting and the production you're getting off the bench, shooting from the th- whoever the third guard is on the floor. Uh, obviously, Sean Jones, after a rough first half, quite frankly, he, had a, he was amazing in the second half, hit three threes in the game, which is more than I – was that more than his entire that, season that coming in? His, that equaled his season total. Uh, okay, so he's seven on the year. So he had four coming in. He had three in that game. So a great shooting night for him. But was this an aberration, or is this maybe a step towards uh, – I don't know if normal's the word I'm looking for, but a step towards where we thought this team would be shooting-wise when the season began? Well, I, I, it's it's an interesting question. I think it's it's relatively complex because you know, yeah, Sean had a had a, a good shooting night, especially from three. Um, but the rest of the team as a whole, I mean, collectively, the team only shot twenty nine percent from from three. So 
You know, it wasn't like yeah, they but were... five of ten, five of ten from Stevie and Sean, the guys people right. are probably most concerned about with three point shooting. Correct, correct. Which is you'll take that, right? And again, I think yeah. there was always going to be some positive regression from them, right? I don't think they're going to maintain, you know, fifty percent between the two of them on the balance of the year, right? That I, that's not realistic. But you also saw, you know, Cam go two of nine from three, and also go two of ten from um from the two-point range and he attempted his second three which i mean it's cute and all but i don't know that we need to see it um but might be his last yeah yeah might be his, uh, that, that, it might be might be his last that experiment might be closed um but having said all that right like unbalanced the team didn't have a great shooting night I, we had our third lowest two-point percentage shooting during that game the the second lowest three-point shooting percentage and still you know still one of five point games so you know again i like i think we're going to see these ebbs and flows if we can get a night where jop uh chase ross stevie sean um you know oso's hidden from two like if we can get a night where they're all on like this is when that offense is suddenly going to look completely unstoppable right um and, you know, I know it's a stat I love to quote, but, you know, paint touches, again, kind of dug into the, the synergy numbers. And we had 14 unguard, unguarded shots in the first half and 12 unguarded shots in the second half. And essentially unguarded just means, hey, there wasn't someone close enough to get a get a hand, you know, in the face or, you know, there was there was a space there. If you're generating, and I think I think he once said the league average is something like 19 unguarded shots in a game. So we, you know, we're significantly more unguarded shots than than normal. So the offense, the structure, what it's doing is working. They just got to make the shots. And yes, I get that some defenses might be sagging off of a Sean or a Stevie, you know, because they're like, oh, they they haven't hit it. Well, you go and you hit this. You know, when you look at the scouting report for for Seton Hall, do you think Seton Hall is going to be like, eh, Stevie, Sean, leave them alone. We don't need to guard them. If they go 50% from three again, guarantee, guarantee we win that game against Seton Hall. Yeah. It, um, it, it was kind of like a bizarro game as far as three-point shooting. You're you like if you, Creighton to their defense was probably just following the scouting report. Let's get a hand in the face of Cam and Tyler behind the three-point line and let Stevie and Sean shoot. And for most of the year, that's probably a formula for success defensively. And but it was the opposite. Cam and Tyler combined two of eleven from three. Stevie mm-hmm. and Sean combined five of ten. So just flip the script on them. And, yeah, that was a big difference in the game. But let's not overlook uh, the rebounding numbers. Uh, Oso Iguodaro, nine offensive rebounds alone, 16 re- offensive rebounds total. Ryan Kalkbrenner only had three rebounds in the game. Maybe uh, just a bit. Marquette, that is the running joke uh, on online with Kalkbrenner that he's, he's just big. But uh, that's about what the tape shows in that game, to, to be – blunt about it. He had one block and three rebounds. I, I, I think you expect a little more from 7-1. Uh, and Oso just... Granted, he didn't shoot the ball well. Yeah, You mentioned he was 2 of 11 from the floor. Uh, that's 2 of 10 in the paint. But 16 boards? I mean, I'll forgive those shooting numbers if you're going to grab 16 boards against Kalkbrenner. Right. One, well, and, and I think the way they went about it, and, and again, I think this is the interesting chess match that's going on. Right, a lot of those rebounds, and I assume he gets the credit because it was directed, right? But a fair number of those, especially the offensive rebounds, were essentially what I would call slapbacks, right? Where where Oso yeah, the tap there. outs, right? Yeah, he would get a hand on it, get a single hand on it, and 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 bump it back to a, a player. And I guess I always, you know, wondered who'd get credit the guy, the person that actually collected the ball, or if if someone directed it back who who gets it and i guess the answer is the player who who directed it back yeah that's a good point that's a good uh, i i did not think of that i was just looking at the box score but that's a good point you bring up because he he had several of those tap backs so if he i guess what you're saying is if he taps it with control right that as opposed to just maybe playing volleyball with it is trying to grab it uh and somebody else grabs it he wouldn't get credit but if he's tapping it with control like he's a volleyball player essentially uh that he gets credit for that rebound right that's that's what i'm that's what I'm guessing. Now, I, I, I'd love to see statistically, does this go to the extra level? And if you t- 
tap it back on an offensive rebound and someone immediately shoots, do you get a rebound and an assist? Um, but, you know. I think there's that also, some of that stuff maybe could be subjective, right? The like, kind of like how in baseball there's an official score who right. determines if something's like a hit, a hit or an error. Uh, whoever's scoring the game can determine, okay, that's a rebound or okay, that's not. Right, right, correct. Um, so I, I don't know how that all works. But again, like it, I, it was almost as if they had decided, look, you know, Creighton is sagging. They're giving up the three-point line. Um, we're going to have our shooters out on the perimeter for the most part. If you long tap it, there's not going to be a Creighton player there. You know, well, we're likely to get that ball, and it and it seemed to work, right? So it's almost the 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 point counterpoint, right? Okay, hey, we're going to sag off the shooters, except for maybe one or two, um, and then you know that that clogs the paint a little bit. But if if Oso's able to get there, he's able to to tap it back, and now you know you've got open open Marquette players that are able to gather. So um, it it was it was excellent strategy. I don't know if that's going to be a solution for all games, and I also would not dare to go so far as to say, oh, all the rebounding issues are are fixed. We're we're totally good, right? Um, I I don't think that to be the case. Um, but it's it's a nice little development, maybe. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it, we'll take good numbers and good results anytime, no matter which how how they get interpreted or put in the box score. But they uh, the, the effort defensively and the effort on the glass was clearly there against Creighton. That was that was one of the huge differences in the game, besides the um, surprising uh, shooting numbers uh, from from Sean and the effort from Stevie. So there were just a lot of good, and the thing is uh, it all may come back to, boil down to just Stevie being back and the energy he brings. Mm -hmm. If you can set the tone, because if you can set the tone defensively, and he kind of had that uh, that charge that was kind of the exclamation point on his effort for the game and I just I kind of love that for him and the way all his teammates kind of hugged him after he got that charge. But um, I, I think it may all just come back to Stevie being back and even in a game when you are not shooting well, as long as the other team's not scoring either, you, you're going to have a chance to get back into it if you can just figure it out on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it was, you know, it, it, we needed a game like this, right? We can we can argue about the quality of Creighton, whether we whether maybe Creighton's overrated or whatever. Um, but to to have a game where you know maybe there's a little doubt creeping in because of the providence and and that sort of thing. Um, to have a game where, you know, you struggle offensively in the first half, but the defense is great. And then in the second half, the defense continues to be good and the offense kind of catches up. And not only that, you kind of, you win, uh, you close out a game, right? With the exception of the the Cam Jones missing the, the front end of a one-on-one, um, which again, Cam has had a rough couple of games. I'm expecting some sort of big bounce back from him. Like you do not, keep that guy down he's he's gonna come back um and and get his at some point um but having said that with the exception of cam missing the front end of that one and one they locked down in the last minute they you know they put that game away it wasn't that creighton gave it away or or creighton you know didn't try and win it marquette beat creighton in the last minute of that game which is a really great thing to see when you're when you're facing this kind of competition again you can tell they're getting a, they're, they're a little more veteran they're 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 not panicked you know maybe the crowd is a little panicked but they're they're not panicked they stuck with the game plan in the first half adjusted at halftime you know shaka wins shaka wins second halves and and it and it happened again and and we saw the the result as a consequence and that's what you would come to expect with a team this kind of experience that that Marquette has. So, uh, a solid W uh, in the Creighton game. And you know, one thing, Phil, is we can maybe shift the focus a little bit to the Big East uh, as a whole and what we think of Marquette just three games in here in the conference play. Funniest thing about the last podcast we recorded, uh, we recorded <laughs> it before. Uh, I, I said in that last podcast, one of the big gaps, one of the big problems for Marquette in, in the quest to repeat his Big East champs was how good Creighton is, or, or how good Connecticut is, because I thought there was a pretty big gap between Creighton uh, and everyone else, including Marquette. And then what happened, you know, that night? Well, of course, Creighton, uh, Connecticut not only went out and lost, but they lost Donovan Klingon. So, whoops. Yikes. Um Hey, it's good to see yeah. that you can jinx teams that aren't just ours. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, at the moment we are recording this, the Big East standings, Providence and Villanova tied at the top at both 2-0. and uh, Connecticut and Marquette both 2-1. and We've got four teams at 1-1. One and one. Uh, Creighton's at one and two, and then we got our friends DePaul and Georgetown down there at the bottom, both with zeros. Again, at the time as we're recording this on Tuesday night. So, I I don't know if I'm like drastically backing off what I said, Phil, but I I guess I am a little bit because of Klingon's injury. Um, he's out three to four weeks. Anytime you're talking about a big man with a foot injury, uh, it's a big deal. And they say three to four weeks, but who knows what he's going to be like when he gets back and if it takes a little longer. And I was um, looking at, well, before I get into Connecticut too much, Phil, uh, any early impressions from you as far as where Marquette is, where the rest of the league is um, after just three games? Um, I I think the big thing is, again, I I think we've got a clear tier, right? I, I, you know, and, and again, I recognize that Marquette, UConn and Creighton were all upset um, to varying degrees, right? But I think I think we've got a clear set of tiers, right? You've got you've got Georgetown and DePaul, who you know, assuming they have to play each other and finish a game with one of them winning, those may be their only conference victories is over each other. Um, you know, first first one's this Saturday, by the way. Yeah, yeah, January sixth. Hmm, weird. Um, one of the worst. Uh, it could be one of the worst things to happen on January 6th in D.C. in quite a while. But yeah, no, please continue. boy, boy um, it's a real, real, real humdinger. But, um, you know, so that that's the bottom half, you know, the, the very bottom. Marquette, UConn for sure, I, I think show up again. And, and, you know, UConn without Donovan Klinging, Klingin, I think is, is, I don't think we could say is clearly better than Marquette. I think with him. Um, they had the potential to be clearly better than Marquette, but um, without him, I think Marquette, you know, probably should be favored in a matchup there. But those are the top two teams in the Big East. And then the balance is in some sort of jumble. And it's almost like the Big East of, of uh, oh, I want to say like 18 or 19, right? Where, uh, um, you know, or uh, not 19, 18, 17 or 18, right? Where like you had Villanova, and, and maybe one other team like Xavier that were clearly kind of at the top. And then you had a bunch of scrappy teams in the middle that would beat up on each other and then would occasionally upset the top two teams or whatever um, enough to keep things interesting. That's where it kind of feels where the league is right now. I don't know. How do, how do you see the Big East shaping up? I, mean, I still think Marquette's right at the top. Uh, I, I think they are – I think – as long as Klingon is out until he comes back and shows that he is, uh, you know, going to be the impact player that he's going, we all expect him to be. Uh, I, I would think you give, would give Marquette a slight edge just because you thought it was. We thought it was going to be close between those two and Creighton anyway. Mm-hmm. But if UConn is going to be without an All American for maybe a month, um, they might catch a loss or two that they otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, and I think after seeing Marquette and Creighton head to head. Granted, they was on Marquette's home floor, but I think there would be a good chance Marquette could beat Creighton again if we could get a similar offensive performance or a similar uh, rebounding performance from the team and maybe another surprise offensively like we had in that game. But I was looking at Connecticut's schedule, though, Phil, so, and I'm thinking, so I could speak generically, oh, maybe they'll have a couple losses, but if you actually look at the schedule and see, okay, where would that potential loss come from? So, uh, Clean got hurt on December 20th against Seton Hall. So they said three to four weeks. So if it's three weeks, they've already played two games. St. John's to Paul beat both of them. They got uh, Butler later this week. They got Xavier next week on the 10th. That would be roughly three weeks. So I think they could get through this four-game stretch without losing a game because they've already got through two. Mm-hmm. Then they would have Butler on the road, which could be tr- – Butler maybe a little better than we thought – uh, I think but on the road at Butler is one of those games where if you play like crap, you can lose. But yeah. if you play your game, you win. Um, Xavier, I, I think they win that one fine, um, uh, even though it is on the road. But, again, play terrible. Anything could happen. Then you've got uh, Creighton, or, or I should say Connecticut, has Georgetown at home. They could win that one without Klingon and probably two or three other starters. 
Then it's if Klingon's injury stretches into that fourth week or longer, that's where I would get concerned that they would lose another game because then they've got Creighton at home and then Villanova on the road. So if if Klingon's injury lasts longer than a month, that's where they could maybe catch another loss or two that they otherwise probably would not have. But if they get him back in that three week time frame, I think they'll be fine and wouldn't. It's the only the only unexpected loss would be that first one that they already have against Seton, Seton Hall. Yeah, the 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 thing that. Not that I'm worried because, like, I don't want wish injuries on people. I want people to be healthy. I want to be able to beat UConn at full strength. I don't need any, you know, excuse making for for UConn Twitter or anything like that, right? Um, but having said that, you know, if I'm a UConn fan, I'm concerned because this is at least the second clinging lower lower leg injury this season. There there was speculation of a third, I think, by Rob Doster. You know, so the greatest ability is availability. And if Klingon can't stay healthy, especially at, you know, that was always the risk, right? You know, we talked about it last year with Oso going from, you know, 20 minutes to 30 minutes. Now this season he's playing 34, 35. Can you stay healthy through that stretch? Klingon and, and Oso are two different body types, types, two different styles, whatever. But it, it clinging, clinging. Even if he comes back in three weeks, I'd be worried. Will he be there for the rest of the season? Right. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing to watch. The other thing that's that's kind of interesting, and I, I, I will not give the Big East credit for like doing this intentionally, but both UConn and Marquette's schedule seems to be really backloaded. Like there is, you know. It's basically mid mid February through the balance of March is like the beef of the schedule. So mm-hmm. in theory, both teams, even with an injured Klingon right now, in theory, both teams should be you know only have a couple of losses coming into the you know kind of the final stretch. So that should make for a very compelling and interesting stretch run, right? But. Yeah, we chatted about that a little bit uh, in the preseason when we were doing our game-by-game predictions. The first Marquette-Connecticut game isn't until February 17th. Uh, and then there's the a ver- what it looks like a very critical home stretch. The last four games, Marquette has a rematch with Providence at home. Then they will have Creighton on the road, then Connecticut at home, and then they wrap up with Xavier on the road. So, But that's especially that three-game stretch. If Providence is going to keep going the way they are, uh, who knows, they could be that team that's still in the hunt, even though if you don't, whether or not you think they could win the league or not, they could be right there and have a chance to really make a move and win the league. Creighton and Connecticut, we expect to be there. So you've got those three teams. I, I think that's, uh, plus Villanova, that's probably uh including Marquette, so that's four of the top five teams I would think in the Big East, right? It, it, if you're talking about teams in the Big East that can make the tournament, it's probably those five. Mm-hmm. It's the three we've been talking about, plus Villanova, plus, plus Villanova, plus Providence, and then I guess it depends on what you think about Butler and St. John's hanging in there uh, and, and trying to get one more. Yeah, how, how, do you, how are you feeling about Nova at this point? Are they better than we thought they were? I kind of feel like Maybe Nova's a little better than we thought. Not a lot better, but a little better. And Xavier's probably fairly worse than we thought they were going to be. Like that's those Villanova's two just flipped. the yeah. Villanova's just the head scratching team because they can't beat anybody in the city of Philadelphia. Like if because <laughs> they've lost to Penn, St. Joe's, and Drexel. So that like they're this is like their worst Big Five season in like a long time. But. They're beating just about everybody else. I mean, they beat Creighton. That was one of the surprises. Uh, they beat Creighton in Omaha. Um, uh, they have a win over North Carolina. They have a win over Memphis. So they they have they're the they're that team that can beat Marquette or Connecticut and also lose to DePaul or Georgetown. Like there's just such a wide range of Villanova results. I'm just not sure what to think of them overall. I, I'm certainly going to be leery of potentially losing to them, especially when Marquette goes on the road. But um, my question with Nova, I guess, is if they have the consistency to be a top three team, if they right. can maybe crack through and maybe jump past Creighton or somebody else uh, in the top three of the Big East. So I think to answer your question, Villanova, good. I'm not sure they're top tier in the league yet. Just because those those losses to St. Joe's and Drexel and Penn just make you just 
scratch your head like how did that happen right. it's not just one it's three of them right it, those are just three just real stinkers of losses um what, who's the other team you asked me about no I, I was saying Xavier that that I feel like Xavier and Nova have basically flip-flopped in my hierarchy in the Big Ten of where I thought they were going to be a Big East uh, or yeah Big East okay. did I say Big Ten holy crap <laughs> You did. You did say. Yeah, I, I know. You you have uh, you know badgers in your household, so that yeah, kind of sneaks. It's a real tragedy. Sneaks in there sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Xavier. yeah, I mean, Xavier's got a lot of losses, but they're not too many of them are bad, right? I mean, they lost to Purdue, just like we have. They lost to Houston, so they lost to like two of the top four teams in the country. Um, they lost to St. John's, huge. Uh, so I just wonder how why it got that bad. But then they also blew out Seton Hall, so. Yeah, I, I, Xavier, I can't figure out quite yet. Yeah, I, that they, they they also have a wide range. Uh, yeah, and they've got some injury what, troubles and 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 stuff like that. So it it it'll, it remains to be seen. But I guess I think the the long story short is on the conference so far, limited data set. I, you know, with the exception of you know, hey, maybe this team is a little higher and that team's a little lower. I, I haven't seen anything that changes my mind on who the likely winners of the conference are and you know I just think there's going to be a lot of carnage in the four through nine spots yeah. um, I, I yeah I, I do think DePaul and Georgetown could both finish one and 19 I, I really think that's on the table um, with obviously wins against each other and then uh, I think uh, I think by the time we get to the last game I think there will be a clear top three of in some order Marquette Connecticut Creighton yeah um, with I, you know, Providence. I know they're hot, and I know they're maddening to play at their place. But uh, I, they've also got some losses coming. I don't know when, but <laughs> they have some losses coming. Yeah, and hopefully one against us at home, right? Um, at, it, at least we um, owe them one for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I, I, you know, again, I know it's weird to say, given that we, you know, that. That there was, you know, off the bat, there were, were the top three were upset, but, um, you know, again, those those things happen, weird things happen, but I haven't seen anything to, to, you know, I agree with you. I haven't seen anything that changes. Hey, these are the top three in some order, and I I think this is a depending on how much carnage there is, you know, four through nine in the pecking order. You know, if four through nine all end up, you know, somewhere around, I don't know how the math works out, but if they're all somewhere in the range of, you know, uh, 11 and nine to nine and 11, right? Like, I don't know if you're going to be able to pick out, you know, many more than one or two that, that get an NCAA bid. Um, but in the if that carnage in the middle tends to be weighted towards the bottom, you know, it could be a six bid league. But I think it's it's most likely to be a five bid, with the worst case being a four bid league. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with you there. I, if I had to make a put a number on it right now, I'd probably guess five. But I think the talent in the league is so deep, I could see, you know, maybe a six team getting to Dayton or something. But yeah, well, that we'll maybe figure that out over more over um, the next month and. I guess speaking of the carnage, Phil, I guess it's something just to keep in mind as we go through the season, and this is some advice I could take myself sometime, is just remember there's going to be what the F kind of losses here mm-hmm. and there for everybody. Uh, Marquette, Creighton, and Connecticut all took one the first first night. Um, it's just, I think over the course of 20 games, the cream will rise to the top, and I, I expect Marquette, Creighton, and Connecticut to be in some order of those three teams. But, yeah, that, that doesn't mean Marquette can't lose one between now and middle of February that makes you go, what the heck happened? Because it could totally happen. Yeah. It could happen this Saturday against Seton Hall. I certainly hope not, but it uh, it could happen. It's just I think you got to look at the big picture. Say, right, what happened in that game, and is it you know a sign of a huge problem, or is it just blah, bad night, Like which is what I think Providence was, just a horrible, no good, very bad night. Um so, speaking of Seton Hall, Phil, how do you feel about the, uh, Saturday's game against the Pirates? This one will be in Newark, so hitting the road to take on Shaw's team. Seton Hall is currently 8-5 uh, and five on the season, 1-1 one and one in league play. Of course, we mentioned they had that big upset win over Connecticut, or I guess they are now 2-1 and one in league play, I should say. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong schedule, sorry. Uh, Connecticut, Seton Hall is 
yeah, one and yeah, they're one and one in league play. They had the big upset win over Connecticut to start the season. Then they went out and lost big to Xavier um, on Saturday the twenty third. They've actually had a long time off. Gosh, they haven't played since December twenty third, and now they are. Uh, their next game is actually probably Tomorrow when night. many of you are going to be listening to this on Wednesday yep. uh, against Providence. So uh, long rest for them, but uh, they at least they have a game between now. Uh, they have a game before they take on Marquette. Um, so what do you think about Seton Hall early goings? They have that one really nice win, but they also have uh, a handful of losses, but none to really any bad teams. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really trying not to because it's been burned before, right? Like both Wisconsin and Providence, I was fairly cocky and confident that, hey, this is these are these are wins. Um, I can see a, a path where, you know, Marquette has an off shooting night. Seton Hall really rebounds the ball well, you know, and it's on it's a road game. Maybe we get a little rattled, whatever it may be. Something, you know, goofy happens. Um, I think there's a path where Marquette loses, but I have to admit, I'm not I'm not that scared of Seton Hall. Like it could we could definitely lose. Right. Like that that is a thing. But I think Marquette should win. I, I agree. I, 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 neutral floor, Marquette's the better team. But as we just said moments ago, stuff happens on the road in the Big East. Uh, Holloway's teams are always going to have a reputation as being tough defensively. Uh, according to Ken Palm, their defense, while not elite, certainly, and, and not even on Marquette's level, I mean, Marquette is is great defensively, both, the, both by the eyeball test and metrically. I mean, they're top mm-hmm. 10 Ken Palm defense. Uh, they're a top 30 offense, but Seton Hall, they, you know, they play tough, but met, according to the metrics, they're ranked 111th in the country on defense, which is not terrible. I mean, that's top third, but that's not elite either. Um, right. they're a top, their offense is actually a little higher than I, I would have guessed it is. They're ranked 64th in the country offensively. So again, fine. Not, elite, not an elite offense by any stretch, but fine. They don't shoot the three very well at all. So hopefully that continues, because any team that Marquette is going to outshoot from three, uh, that's that's a good start. Um, you mentioned they're a great offensive rebounding team, which maybe sounds some alarm bells, but uh, they don't rebound the wall, ball very well defensively. That, that just must be a, a scheme thing. Um, that right. They, they really clash the offensive glass, but not so much on the defense. Yeah, well, and the, the other thing that stands out to me, and, and it's less about, um, less about uh, the, the statistics side of things, they they have a sh- they have a short bench, right? They play, you know, they play four guys, you know, roughly seventy five to eighty percent of of minutes respectively. So you know, and and give, you know, maybe two or three guys the the balance of the minutes. So so you know, Marquette's pace. If we can push the pace, um, if we can get you know, if if we can rebound the ball or or get turnovers and push the pace. You, you can tire them out. And if you tire them out, maybe you can get them to commit fouls. Um, you know, they're not very deep. And I'd love to get that. The, the player that scares me is Jaden Bidianco. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. But, you know. Yeah, I was just looking at him. I'm not 100% sure on the pronunciation, but I, I Bidianco would be my guess. Yeah, he's a transfer. Boy, he's a, he is a beast on the offensive glass. Right. Ranked third in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. Right. And, and he's, not, he's not a terrible slacker on the defensive rebounding either. Um, you know, not not nearly as good, but he's 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 adequate on the defensive end. So you know that's going to be an interesting matchup for Oso. You know, will Oso be able to defend him? Will Oso be able to keep him off the glass? I think this is going to have to be a a team effort to to keep keep Seton Hall off the offensive glass. Um, you know, I think one thing that should set you know blaring alarm bells. You know, we talked about offensive rebounding for Seton Hall. Alarm bells for Marquette. What should give you know blaring alarm bells for Seton Hall is they turn the ball over at a pretty significant rate, and Marquette is really good at turning you over. Um, so Marquette should be able to generate you know a lot of live ball um, live ball turnovers, um, which could result in points and and you know. To me, that's one of the most demoralizing things in in basketball. Is if you're trying to, you know, you're trying to set up your offense or bring the ball up, and the next thing you know, the team's going the other way and scoring a bucket. Man, that gets you down. So, um, again, I, I think this is highlighting, you know, why um, why Marquette can win 
you know, other than the rebounding, is there anything else that jumps out to you as to why, you know, Marquette should be, you know, worried about uh, about this game? Uh, no, I think you kind of hit on it. I, I think it's j- that and just the road environment. Where, and sometimes you just don't get a friendly whistle on the road. Mm-hmm. Road, And, you know, not I've never been one to blame officiating, but I think you're, you know, I don't want to say it's not, it's has zero effect on a game but you know when you have a guy in foul trouble or you get a tough call here a tough call there it, it can rattle you and those are just things that go with playing on the road in the big east so uh yeah but i would say yeah i think you've kind of hit on it the biggest um concern is what bediaco can do rebounding the ball and as if they get several second chance points then their poor shooting from three won't be as big a deal if they're getting easy putbacks and layups yeah so, i, I, I And I think this is a game, you know, I talked about it earlier. This is a game that should be set up for Cam Jones, right? Like, Cam Jones needs to bounce back. He's, you know, he's uh, just looking it up. He's gone in the last uh, one, two, three, four, five games. He has gone from three. He has gone. um, Nothing's entertaining as doing live math on air. Seven, four... 30 seven for 30 from three that's you know it's not great right that's that's it's below 25 percent. so yeah that's it's yeah that's not him so yeah basically since texas if you're going game by game so texas he was great he was five of eight right but uh notre dame one of four st thomas two of four providence one of six georgetown one of seven creighton two of nine so yeah a bit of a shooting slump for cam especially the last three one of six one of seven two of nine that's not him uh i and i think He's due, right? I mean, he, right. even with that that tough stretch, he is still uh, at thirty seven percent for the year, which is great. And he got right. if you're shooting thirty seven percent from three, you've got a green light. Anytime you got a good look, you take it. Right. Um, so he's still fine on the season. Just a little mini slump. I, I would agree. Nothing to be overly concerned about. Um, maybe with yeah, maybe this is a game where maybe he gets loose. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at it just from a conference, you know, he's shooting eighteen percent from three in, in, in conference and less than 50% from two. That is, you know, hands down, not him, right? So they're, you know, not saying it has to be the Seton Hall game, but he's going to bounce back, right? He's going to, he's, you know, there is zero, zero doubt in my mind that he will return to form at some point. Um, so it could be the Seton Hall game, right? And Seton Hall gives up a fair number of threes and a fair number of open looks, you know, that maybe maybe Cam or, or yeah, and I will. Uh, yeah, the unguarded advantage. threes. Yeah, yeah, the unguarded threes are the things that we keep uh, talking about. And paint touches is documented extremely well. But uh, I, I will be curious to see if Seton Hall follows the scouting report that you probably would have followed for most of the year against Marquette, um, in as far as leaving the third guard open, or if they might be wary of what happened against Creighton and maybe give Sean and Stevie and even Chase a little more respect. And if that happens. A little more space for Cam, a little more space for Tyler Kolick, which is when you know allows them to either shoot the three or just get in the lane and get those acrobatic layups, which they make look so easy, even though they're mm-hmm. impossible shots. Yeah. Well, and I'm also to see how I'm curious to see how Seton Hall defends Oso, right? Like, you know, do they use a lot of drop coverage? Which again, Oso hasn't been shooting well the last couple of games. You know, Oso could you know could p- potentially get into the lane and. You know, if he's hitting his, you know, kind of his his, sh- his push shot and, and other stuff in the lane, if they're doing drop coverage um, with their center, then, you know, he's going to be able to feast. And if he's able to feast, again, that, you know, forces either a double or forth, forces uh, or opens up those baseline cuts, you know, like we saw a lot of in Maui, that sort of thing. Um, so it'll be interesting. I, I think the big thing for me is, you know, now I don't know Seton Hall nearly as well as I know Marquette, but I just looking at it, some games I've watched, what I see on paper, I just think Shaka has a lot more options and a lot, a lot more tools in the tool chest that he can call on to adjust and and make things work depending on what Seton Hall does. And I don't, I don't think Shaw Holloway has all of those tools. Right? They have kind of one or two primary ways they're going to do things and if they don't work they're not going to have a lot of other options yeah i i agree with you i i think the depth should work in marquette's advantage having stevie back helps marquette uh, 
Shaka well he'll only go as deep as he needs to and we the freshman didn't play at all uh, against Creighton um, but you know there's I think we have seen Trey Norman um, uh, get in and, and uh, Zade Lowry get in a couple games uh, that weren't you know by opponents so we'll see if they get any minutes in this game if necessary but having Stevie out there and having Stevie at full strength maybe makes that ne- less necessary uh, Ken Palm has this game as a six point spread in Marquette's favor uh, if I'm making a prediction, I, I'm still going win, but maybe a little tighter than that. Um, maybe, I don't want to call it a one-possession game. I don't want it to be that much of a sweat. I'll say they win by a lovely four. Uh, I'll say Marquette can win this game by four. Um, uh, it'll be a sweat. That's just life in the Big East. But uh, I'll, I will say Marquette wins, but it's never going to be easy uh, going to Newark. But I, I do think Marquette's the better team, and they should play that way. Um you know, I, I'm probably paring down from where I was this morning because, you know, I was fairly confident in a double-digit win, and and who knows, maybe it's just the the ghosts of Providence and and Wisconsin losses and being overconfident that are that are showing up here. But uh, you know, I think I think it's going to be a multiple possession win. I think it's going to be you know eight nine points. You know, maybe trending towards depending on free throws and closing out the game towards a double digit win i it'll probably be a fairly back and forth affair along the way um i i just think at the end at the end of the day market's gonna have more than than seton hall is going to be able to overcome and any despite a tough road environment i think marquette can go in there and, and win not seeing an official Vegas line yet, but it's always fun those late games when people are hitting what they call significant free throws, which we had that against Creighton, right? It was a three-point mm-hmm. game. Spread was three and a half. Uh, Tyler hit two, got the cover. So yeah. And <laughs> you Oso, took Marquette again, minus three and a half. The, the, the legend of Clutch Oso continues to grow. When he is when, – when Oso absolutely needs it, my man, he, he's like Steph Curry at the free throw line. Yeah. First half, not so much. But think is actually, you know what? I take that. I might even walk that back a little bit. Oso has been great from the free throw line uh, overall he, this year. Yeah, um, he, I mean, especially in the last ten games, he's really trending in a nice direction. Yeah, let me, uh, let me bring up his numbers again. Live math and live research is always just great podcast <laughs> fodder. Um, but uh, all right, look. Since all right, I'm going to go back to all right. I'm going to go back. Actually, I'm going to go all the way back to the Southern game. So since Purdue, uh, Purdue, he did not attempt a free throw. So since they got back from Hawaii, here are Oso's free throws game by game. Two for two, one for two, one for two, eight for eight. That was Notre Dame. Seven for 11, seven for eight, three of four, three of four. So basically since Maui, he has missed, he has had games where he's only missed one free throw every game. Every game has been one or zero missed free throws except St. Thomas, where he missed four. But that game, he was seven of 11. So six, that's 63% in that game. But again, two for two, one for two, one for two, eight for eight against Notre Dame, seven of 11, seven for eight, three for four, three for four. Yeah. That's good, man. Uh, yeah, for that, a big That's man, not just I mean, like. I'll take 75%. That, that's not just getting by. Yeah, that's not just getting by. That's great. Take that all the time for Oso. Heck yeah. yeah. Dude's been working on his free throws in the show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely take it. And what I'm also hopeful for in a late game situation, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned this before, is that Jay Crowder is not sitting baseline in Newark um, because <laughs> it was a bit of a distraction. Uh, that was a funny moment. I love it. Just chuck. Just chat about that just a minute. Obviously, first of all, David Joplin was very excited. He got his first college dunk, which is something that he has wanted this year. I think some of his teammates have razzed him about it a little bit. <laughs> he hasn't gotten one, even though he's like 6'7". Um, he finally got one. He was fired up, dapped up Jay Crowder. Uh, and then Joplin's man goes the other way and gets layup. <laughs> now, in, 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 in my man's defense, in, in defense of Wagon. The sin was not the delay be- caused by dapping up Jay Crowder because he was back before um, before Creighton inbounded the ball. He did. I think it was Stevie that he went. They you know did the I don't what did the kids call that thing where you jump up and bump chest just a just a chest bump. Okay, chest bump. Cool. That's what that's what they did, and then 
he was still grinning ear to ear as his guy got the ball in the half court and then went by him. So the sin was not the initial celebration. The sin was he didn't know when to stop. I get it. I'm not mad. (laughs) Unlike the people in the row behind me who were convinced this was going to result in Marquette losing, I was like, well, it's not a habit we want to form, but I'm not mad about it. That is like, you take the good with the bad. The dude was excited. He's a bit of the heartbeat for the team. I'm an apologist. I get it. What can I say? I love the dude. Never going to criticize that uh, unless it happens again and we lose a game. Then I'll definitely criticize it. But... It I mean, was, hey, it if, was if, fun. if I got a dunk, if I got a dunk in a college basketball game, I would probably do cartwheels all the way back down the end of the floor. Like, listen, if I got a layup in a college basketball game and Jake Crowder was there, <laughs> I'd walk over, give him a high five, maybe talk to him for a moment, and then get pulled out of the game because I'm not paying attention. So, like, <laughs> who am I to throw stones? Yeah, it, it was a funny moment. It didn't cost him the game. Didn't even cost him the cover. So. It was fine. Again, not so. It's one of those things. It's fine, but never do it again. Right, right. That that that's a quiet sh- Shaka is like David. Um, love you, appreciate it. Knock it off. <laughs> never again. Never again. All right, that was funny. I hope yeah. Joplin gets another dunk and acts like he's done it before because mm. now he has. Right, right. All right, so I think that's about going to do it a wrap for this podcast. Uh, so we're both on board. Uh, relatively close win. I'm saying a little closer than you. Uh, but uh, we're, we're both believe, agree, better team. Marquette plays its game. Should be a W in Newark on Saturday. Yep, I would uh, I would agree so. I would agree with you, and I, I hope it is so. All right, very good. As always, you can hit us up with your feedback. Uh, we're on Twitter X. I'm at Joe McCann 3 Phil is M. Triple O F twenty three at Crack Sidewalks is the team handle. We'll go to cracksidewalks.com. Post the comments there on the dot com. And always remember to rate, review, and subscribe Apple Podcasts uh, and Spotify. Uh, Phil, final thoughts before we go enjoy the rest of the week. Um, unrelated market basketball. Shouldn't we call it X Twitter? Because then it's like EX Twitter because it used to be Twitter. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I do that. Yeah. yeah. X Twitter. X Twitter. Right. Instead of Twitter X. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I'll try to make that a thing. Yep. You're welcome, America. And uh, let's go enjoy the game on Saturday. All right, go Marquette, and as always, have a good week, everybody. Seashells and balloons.